Hello, product innovators. Today we learn from a past executive of both Amazon and Target on how to gain game-changing product development insight from potential customers. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Wes Stringfellow to the show. Wes rose the ranks in the early days of Amazon, emerging as a senior product manager. He's also been an executive in innovation at Target, PayPal, Rosetta Stone, and Visa. He even ran a Techstars incubator for a couple years. Now, West runs HowDo, a completely free education platform to help anyone become a successful entrepreneur. Today, West is going to share some valuable insight on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers should focus on understanding the customer to gain strong insight into early product development and even marketing planning. He will explain how some of the best customer-facing companies in the world do this and how you can learn from that to do this for your next hardware product. Now onto the episode. West, welcome to the show. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you on. You know what? You're the first guest that we've had that has been entirely surrounded by musical keyboards. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah, I love I love music, man. It's a, it's a really good... When I'm stuck creatively or stuck emotionally, it's a really good way to find my base. You know, I used to do that growing up as well. Right beside my desk in university, I had a keyboard and I just bang away at it. And uh, yeah, it, it definitely... You can totally alter your mood or you yeah. just think, think differently or uniquely or sometimes just take a break, right? It's a really amazing yeah. uh, resource. So good to see that you're continuing to do it. And you know, shame on me for not having it anymore beside my desk here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm excited today to talk uh, about all kinds of things. You've got an incredible history. You've worked for some amazing big companies, PayPal, Amazon, Target. Uh, just give us a quick run through of your background. Sure. So I, I kind of see my career in three chapters. Uh, the first chapter was trying to get going. I uh, started in a uh, trail crew in the mountains and cut my thumb off and I was doing house framing and got a major concussion and decided I'd start working indoors. And <laughs> uh, was, was really, really, really lucky to discover uh, computers in, in 1997 when, you know, being an engineer and going to a startup was not really something that most people considered. Uh, and I was in Boulder, Colorado, and I uh, was able to get into some startups in really early in the startup craze. Uh, rode that first wave and, you know, up and down. <laughs> and then uh, moved to San Francisco to test my, my skills as a self-taught engineer. Uh, did okay. Uh, and one of the companies that I worked for did a lot of backend integrations for used books. And one of those integrations was Amazon. And uh, because I had done all their point-to-point integrations with about uh, the, the startup that I worked for, I'd integrated with them then with about 12 other uh, used booksellers. By the time I got to Amazon, I, I pretty much knew what the industry was doing. And Amazon had a very different approach to it, which I didn't think would be efficient. And I pointed that out to them. And uh, over time ended up, you know, I was right. And they, uh, not saying I was good or anything. I just happened to be right about that one specific thing. <laughs> and uh, they ended up hiring me. And I joined Amazon uh, before, before they had product managers as a job title. But ultimately, that's what I was uh, for Marketplace. And then I helped uh, design their first billable web service and ran Fraud for Europe, built their India office, 
uh, helped build their dig first digital video product and then ran the affiliate marketing program for the UK. I then joined Visa and was the vice president of innovation and e-commerce for Europe. And then went to Australia, uh, helped, helped flip a company down there. They were trying to move their business model and buy out some partners. And uh, then I was the head of product for PayPal in Australia. And then ultimately the head of uh, uh, innovation and platform for PayPal globally. Then I was the chief product officer at Rosetta Stone, chief product officer at Big Commerce, and then joined Target as their first entrepreneur in residence and ultimately their vice president of innovation. And then about three years ago, uh, I stopped working for other people and started working full-time for myself, building Howdo, which is uh, teaching the world to innovate. So the first chapter was kind of digging out of the hole. The second chapter was climbing the corporate ladder till Target. And the third chapter is just starting now with Howdo. That's unreal. Great, great story. What what a ride. And, and amongst all that, you also managed to run a Techstars uh, That's correct. Uh, yeah, for at, a couple of years, right? That's correct. At Target, uh, uh, when, I, when I became the vice president of innovation, one of the, you know, Target brought me in as an entrepreneur in residence. And um, I, you know, w w Target owned my company at that point, and And I really cared about my companies. <laughs> you know, having only one owner of and one funder of the company, I, I really wanted to make sure Target did well. And so um, I built them a corporate strategy using some of the funding that they had given my company. And then I, I printed out that corporate strategy and handed it out to all the executives in the company and then ultimately got a call from the CEO and uh, became the vice president of innovation. And my first conversation with some of the leadership there was, you know, if you want startups, there are way more efficient ways than entrepreneurs and residents. Like we can get an accelerator in here and then we can get a lot of startups in here much, much faster. And so, yeah, we built a Techstars accelerator, which was so much fun. I mean, it was honestly one of the most fun things I've ever done in my career. And, uh, and we ended up getting, you know, 10, 10, uh, startups in our first cohort, but we had 550 applicants in the first year. Wow. So yeah, that was, it was really, really strong applicant pool. And that, that, was a very strong sign for, for us at Target. Like we should do this more often. And so now if you look at Target, they have a ton of accelerators for different things. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And Techstars is a great program. So they really are. We're, we're a big fan of a good, great service. So they're very inspired. When I thought about why I'm building, how do Techstars was a big inspiration. Amazing. Well, today we're talking about the customer, which is incredible because you've dealt at, at very high levels with big products, small products, whether it's startups, whether it's massive products, moving through major, both online and physical retailers, um, you've seen what it takes to really succeed as yeah. a new product in the market. And a lot of that comes down to the customer. So just give oh. us a big uh, um, overarching view of why the customer and thinking about, even in your early phases, even when you're starting to sketch or design, um, why is the customer so important to those early development uh, pieces of thinking and to your early research when you're coming up with that new idea or a new version of an idea or your next version of, a, of an existing product or whatever else. Talk about customer. So, so I'm, a, I'm a big fan of business literature. I'm kind of a nerd in that way. Uh, and one of my favorite writers is Peter Drucker. I mean, I, 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 he, he's some might consider him a little old school. I consider him rock solid. Uh, he, he says the purpose of business is to create a customer. And uh, if you look, you know, I, I honestly didn't really think about the customer very much until I got to Amazon. And then it's all you think about at Amazon, literally. And if you can materially justify 
why you think the customer will benefit from, or at least when I was there, this was 2004, so pretty early days. But uh, you know, if you could materially justify why you think the customer would benefit from a new product, a new feature, a new service, it, it was pretty easy to get it done. Pretty easy to get executive support and pretty easy to literally get just people who had free time. And you know, not like a lot of people at Amazon had free time, but they would spend their time helping you solve customer problems because that's what was rewarded there. And when I left uh, Amazon, you know, I kind of came in at a very low level, realistically. A guy was the back-end data person at a startup in a you know warehouse in Emeryville. And when I left, I was the vice president of European e-commerce and innovation for Visa. And that was, you know, that was a pretty radical transition. Uh, and wow. when I got to Visa, one of the things that surprised me immediately, and, and this is not a criticism of Visa, but it's just you know, the, the, the conversations focused a lot on how a lot of the other executives felt about a topic or how they thought about a topic or maybe how the board felt or thought about a topic. And it just surprised me that, you know, the word customer was not said very often, especially when we were talking about innovation. And so, you know, I, I started to kind of it was a very jarring experience, let's just say that, to come out of an a, a company that only talks about the customer to a company that, you know, they talk about the customer, but it's a part of the conversation, not the entirety of the conversation. And, and so I started trying to pull, you know, customer focus into Amazon, or sorry, into Visa. And I ended up hiring several of my colleagues from Amazon into Visa. They experienced the same kind of like, wait a minute, where's the customer? And uh, the, the focus that we were able to create around the customer for innovation and for e-commerce radically changed the conversation. You know, innovation went from not really a priority to the number one priority, same with e-commerce. And, and it taught me at that moment, like, okay, in my career, you know, I didn't go to business school. I wouldn't say that I'm a particularly smart person, but I do think that that one little piece of insight has just given me a lot of credibility at a company that I just walked into. And so it, it really stuck with me that when you, when you use the customer as your orientation point, you know, they're your true north and you sail towards them it's very easy to get people aligned because it's hard to argue when the customer tells you that they want something. You know? <laughs> it's also really, really, if you use the right process to deeply understand your customer, it's very hard to, to, to not give them what they want. And if you well, iterate, let's, sorry, sorry let's, go ahead. No, no, let's, let's talk about process because that, that's, you know, really interesting here. You've seen it at the highest levels, but you've also seen how that trickles down to early stage hardware companies and they do it. Like what is, you know, imagine you're you're a home inventor. You've got this idea. What are some of the first steps that you would use at the biggest levels, and how how does a startup kind of apply that to their first steps in understanding the customer, so that they can at least mimic part of you know what you found to to work the best in understanding your customer? And then let's talk about how that actually applies to um, you know creating an exceptional product for that customer. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question, and and I think there's this. You know, I have a unique perspective because I got to work at big companies. I got to build my own company. I got to work at a lot of startups when startups weren't even a thing that was popular. And, and, and having done all that, I think that most people have access to a lot more information than they give themselves credit for. And most people are capable of doing things that they wouldn't think that they're capable of. You know, uh, for example, big companies hire management consultants. You can be your own management consultant. Like the processes that they use are public, and uh, on how to the thing that I'm building now, I'm 
pointing out where they are and how to use them. And so I strongly encourage anyone, every entrepreneur, anyone even thinking about becoming an entrepreneur to start with researching your customer. Literally get online and Google, <laughs> Google your competitor to figure out do you, is there someone in the space doing something similar to you? And then look upstream. Don't focus on the competitor. Look upstream. Go to their social media channels. Go to trade shows. Go to any place you could potentially find some of their customers and literally talk to them. Like figure out who they are and talk to them. There's a structured way of talking to them, qualitative research, where you try to remove yourself and your biases and you ask open-ended questions so that you truly hear uh, what the customer is saying. And you, you know, if you open your, your mind to what the customer is saying, they, they tell you exactly what they're looking for. They may not use the language that you, you are currently using to define yourself, your product or brand, whatever it is, but the language that they're using is the language that you then need to use. You know, so many times I see people say like, oh, I've got this widget and it's amazing. And I go, great, please explain it to me. And they explain it to me in something that, you know, I may not understand or, you know, I, I, the way they're saying it is so wrapped in passion. I love it. But then I'm like, what is it? And if I can show it to a customer and say, would you please describe that to me? And the customer says it to me in real straightforward, simple English. That solves this problem. That The way that they describe it back to me is the way that you should describe it back to the customer. Listen to your customer and let them tell you what they need and how to talk about it. And so many entrepreneurs get so excited. So many creators and designers and inventors get so excited about their idea they just want to build it and put it in the customer's hands. And I'd strongly encourage everyone to look at the way that the best companies in the world do this. You know, Steve Jobs didn't just throw an iPhone at someone. He started with the iPod and then went through several iterations before he got to the iPhone and several iterations before the App Store and iterate and iterate and iterate. But at every point in that journey, they learned important lessons that allowed them to extend the product farther, extend the relationship with the customer farther and buy more permission from the customer to do more radical things. And now we just assume it, you know, now we just wait, we literally turn on the TV or at least I do, I'm that kind of a nerd and I watch and I wait and I can't wait to see what kind of stuff they're going to impress me with. But I, you know, that, that didn't happen because a bunch of smart people closed the door and sat in a room and figured it out. That happened because they went out there and they looked at every product that worked, every product that didn't work, and they learned where the opportunity was then and only then did they start designing and building. I love how you bring up that uh, Steve Jobs example and something, I know you listen to a number of our podcasts. You've heard me talk about it before, minimum viable product, coming out yes. with a very focused, very high quality, but very simple version of your product to start, to start generating user, real user feedback on your thing to then scale it to all these different features from there, right? So it, it, it's, the, it's this theory essentially that you, you want your audience to direct you. And a couple other things that, that are very on point with what you mentioned is first and foremost, taking out that bias. Yeah. So it's really important to understand your own bias. And I really like that you brought that up because when you're talking to these customers, it's, it's key not to try and push them in absolutely any way. And one of the things that you mentioned there in terms of bias, which really supports it, is asking those open-ended questions. So Wes, I'd like to hear just from you, what are some of those open-ended questions that you like to ask? What are some of the good ones that really incite that, that knowledge that you're talking about so you can actually use that customer feedback effectively? <laughs> so it, a lot of it depends on where I am in the exploration with the customer. Um, so, and, 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 you know, honestly, I tend to over-research things because, you know, success is built on information nowadays. If you look at any company that's doing great things, 
they start with a lot of data, you know, and, and in order to give yourself an advantage, you have to similarly accumulate that data. So I tend to do a lot of secondary research, reading existing research and build my own perspective before I talk into the customer, talk to the customer. I also look at the competitors and really think about how is the competitor talking about their product? So, so, you know, if I hear the competitor's language in my, uh, my prospective customer's wording, you know, I need to be able to identify that. Likewise, I need to be able to reflect on their words and per perhaps introduce some existing uh, solutions that are maybe not exactly like mine, but similar or substitutes to mine so that I can have a real dialogue with the customer. But, but with that research in mind, I go in and I really want to start with who they are. How do they describe themselves? You know, like, right. hey, I'm West. You know, we're here to talk about a product, and I'd really like to first get to know you. Could you please introduce yourself? Like, tell me about you. And then they will go somewhere. And, and generally, I'll try to grab onto something that they said and maybe dive a little deeper. Uh, and then I, I, I ask them, How, tell me about your day. What, like, what'd you do today? What's your average weekday? What's your average weekend? What do you like to do for fun? You know, do you have a family? Do you like hanging out with friends? Where do you like to eat? Just stupid stuff like that. Cause it starts to help me get an idea of how I'm going to relate to this person. It's, it, it, it may sound like a waste of time, uh, you know, relative to the information that you want to get from this person. But the reality is to get really quality information from people, they want the, they want to have a relationship with the person they're talking with. You need to be an actual complete human. And in order to do that, you have to talk to them and acknowledge them as a complete human. So I start there. Once, once we're through that, I tend to try and in my head or in notes, make some hooks. Okay. Well, they, they, they drive a lot or they sit at their desk a lot or something like that. And I'll be like, that may have something to do with my product or my hypothesis or the research I'm trying to, you know, conduct. And so you know, I, I go in with a broad, broad topic, and then I try to use what I get from those initial conversations as hooks to dive into the specific topic. So let's say, let's use a note-taking app because it's, uh, there's, I think when I did, uh, <laughs> I had a terrible idea to build a note-taking app about like uh, six years ago. And I looked up, uh, I hired a team to do some research. There was like 190 of them. And I'm like, okay, clearly not a good use of my time. Um, but one, one of the things that I thought about there was, you know, what are the competitors? And a non-traditional competitor to a note-taking app is the traditional product, pen and paper, pencil and paper, whiteboards, hey. you know, day timers, things like that. And so, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's say I'm researching a note-taking app. I'll just ask, how do you take, do you take notes? If they say no, how do you remember things? If they describe it, and a lot of times when, you know, I'll say, do you take notes? They say, no, how do you remember things? They'll go, oh, I write it down. And it's like, okay, they're not thinking that's a note. Right? That's, that's like something else. That's a chore. That's a to-do list. That's a something. And so then I'll start to adjust my language to, okay, so when you're making a to-do list, uh, what, how do you prefer to do that? How often do you check it? Where do you place it? You know, just really kind of starting to get specific around that concept. How do you use them? Blah, 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 blah. Like trying to then, I, I go deep as to what it is. And then I go horizontal into how it's used. And then from there, I try and figure out, you know, where can we go from here? Like a lot of, for me at this point, like in my career and having done this with, I mean, quite literally thousands of customers, a lot of it starts to just take shape 
organically. And that's when you know you're really having a conversation, you know, start really broad with who are you? What do you do? Start really broad with your products. Do you do this activity? How do you talk about this activity? How does this activity, do you, what kind of value do you place on this activity? Is this activity useful? Uh, and then, and then get real specific. So you mentioned that you keep it on your, you mentioned you keep a whiteboard on your refrigerator. Why do you keep it there? Who else uses it? Do you try to commute, share notes with other people? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, you know, a lot of it becomes contextual thereafter, but start broad, get specific and have somewhat of a pretty deep foundation of information that allows you to really relate with this person. And, and, and I think the most important thing is listen, like really listen, listen to what they're right. saying. Maybe not what their words mean, but what they're saying. Watch their, watch their body language, watch their eyes, watch their head movement, watch how they gesticulate, listen to the tone in their voice. Like people have so much power in their nonverbal communication that I think is often overlooked because we're simply trying to get our point across or trying to get them to understand what we have to say. And, and you know, in the initial days of talking with the customer, it's, it's quite the opposite. You know, you need to be a sponge and you need to learn to listen to their emotions, listen to their body and listen to their words. And at what point do you, uh, introduce your actual idea to them. And do you have any tips around that? You know, I'm assuming it's towards the end. It depends on where I am in the development life cycle. If I'm very, very early days, um, I would, I would not generally, I would try to learn as much as possible before I even come up with a hypothesis. Um, you know, I might have a working thing. Like I think, I think that notes are, uh, or let me say it more specific to that use case. I find current note-taking apps inadequate. That was my problem. Does do other people empathize with that sentiment? And I went out and asked people and you know I learned that a lot of a lot of people don't think that's a broken problem. You know, a lot of people aren't as kind of anal as I am. <laughs> you know, and uh um so it 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 started to uh, turn into something, you know, can I do this? And can I do that? And can I do this? The exploration got much, much broader than note-taking. And ultimately I shut that down and picked up another question. Um, but I, 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 you know, a different example would be the company that, that, uh, was my entrepreneur in residence company at target. Uh, I had an extremely, extremely re rich research process, um, qualitative and quantitative before I even came up with a real hypothesis. And then when we got to designing it, so I, I know what I want to build and I, I feel pretty confident that this is the thing that we're going to build. I actually brought customers in and took competitor experiences that were not uh, my experience, like customers need to log in, right? So I took Amazon's, Google's, Facebook's, LinkedIn's logins. And I said, which of these do you like? You know, which do you, and why do you like it? And then like people need to check out, which of these do you like? Why do you like it? And so I had the customer actually design the app and the service for me. And uh, it made it so much easier for me to figure out how to build things than trying to guess what the customer needs. And ultimately, that's that kind of collaborative design ethos is something that you see at the world's best companies, both hardware and software. You know, the, they build, they mock it up, they test it with the customer, mock it up, test it with the customer. And in the world of 3D printing, it's so, so much easier to do that than it was just a decade ago. So, you know, I, I think that that iterative customer design, it's not just talk to the customer at the beginning, but it's really make the customer part of the process, make them part of the strategy, make them part of the validation of the product at every stage. That's how you really ensure that when you get the product 
into the customer's hands and you know in the market context, you're going to find, or I should say, you have the highest probability of finding product market fit. Yeah, that's great. And you know, bringing it back to your earlier conversation about simplicity, the more that you are focused, and I love that you brought up that that Amazon that login example because it was laser focused. You're only looking at one thing here, one thing very specifically. How do you log into the website? We're not focusing on any other bells and whistles at that time. It's just keeping it extremely laser focused. So that also comes back to the importance of having that MVP product, something that very that has a very clear pain point that so you can actually go out and talk to people who may be exploring that same pain point and really drill into it in a very specific, very clear level. I love the fact that you're bringing it in at multiple phases too, right? The fact that you can, and I would almost take it one step further, as you're ideating this thing, you can talk to customers. They might be hard to find, but you can you know, talk, talk to your neighbor. But the beauty of what you said too is, especially with hardware products, the way that you said it without actually giving them the idea allows you to keep your idea confidential. And that's very important to many people, especially in early phases, right? That you've come up with some golden nugget. You want to go out and validate it. You're extremely nervous to tell somebody, well, what Wes has just told you is you don't actually need to give them that product idea if you don't want to, right? You can keep that close to the heart, and then look at everything surrounding that to make sure that your product is actually solving a real a real pain point with those customers. So that's at that phase. You mentioned in the design phase, you know, whether design or prototyping, so you can actually get a real unit in someone's hands, get some real feedback is great as well. Um, again, I, I would say be careful with, you know, make sure you've got a non-disclosure agreement if it's oh, not very yet much. public yeah. info. But <laughs> Everyone signs an NDA. <laughs> yes, definitely. But one step further even is even when you're selling and you're in production, Continue to do this process. Never right? stops. Can, it never stops. Never stop. It yeah. never stops. No, especially when you're selling, especially when you're selling. Because, you know, when you test, so for example, the 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 EIR company I did at Target, I think by the end, uh, by the time we were ready to launch, we had talked to customers for over a thousand hours. You know, wow. like we knew our customer. Uh, and and you know, the the thing I tell everyone <laughs> is the day you launch your product is the actual first day that you'd have a job. Everything up until that point is just a warm up. As soon as your product is live, that I mean all you should do for a, a very long period of time is deeply 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 understand every aspect of your customer experience. You know, how is the messaging align in the marketing aligned with the messaging on the box? How does it look on a shelf? You know, when people take it off the shelf, what messaging do they see that encourages them to, you know, engage with the product more, maybe put it in their basket? How do they mess how do you, is that the same messaging that you need online? Like online there's infinite competition one click away, or at least, you know, 12 keystrokes away. How are you differentiating online? Uh, you know, a lot of that information you can, you can try to predict, but once it's in market, you start to actually get the volume of exposure that gives you deep, deep, deep insights. So yeah, I, I'm very, very, uh, insistent. Uh, you know, when I, when I run innovation programs, it's, it's talk to the customer, talk to the customer, talk to the customer. So many people will come into my office and be like, uh, you know, Hey, uh, what do you think we should do? And I'm like, why are you asking me? I'm like, ask the customer, please go talk to the customer. If you, if you need time, money, resource, whatever it is to get to the customer, go that way. And then come back to me. And, and if there's a disagreement with the customer, let's figure out how to get more data to resolve that. But let, you know, the, 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 a lot of employees and a lot of creators have been trained to go towards folks that, you know, have some sort of, I don't know, magical insight, you know, like, 
it, 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 there's no such person. The, the only person who has the magical insight is your customer. And by the way, they're the one who's going to give you the money. They're the one who's going to promote your brand. You know, and, and everything that I've learned about marketing says that if you can get your customer to promote your brand for you, then your marketing is phenomenally efficient. A great example is I ran, you know, air quotes, uh, marketing for Amazon in the UK. That means that <laughs> I took a marketing budget and reduced prices on products. Like that was marketing for Amazon. They did not need to do like brand marketing or above the line marketing or anything like that. Like they were so specifically focused on creating a positive customer experience. And they had such confidence that if they did that, that the customer would do the marketing for them. And that has become inherently true to Amazon. Think about Facebook. Now, Absolutely. Facebook will Facebook will market products every now and again, but you know, Facebook really didn't need to market. Think about Apple. Like I hear about Apple on the news. They just came out with some new tablets and computers, and I don't need to see the keynote. I know I'm gonna buy it. You know, <laughs> like so it's you know, those kind of brands that have that iconic faith. And from the customer in their products, those are the brands that truly scale. They're the ones that really differentiate themselves because that differentiation is the belief that the customer gives them. And remember, as a startup, it's, it's generally free to talk to your customers or at least close Almost folks who might time. be a customer or whatever else, right? You can, you can find somebody that, that may buy your product and get some insight. Um, and, and you really don't have to look that, that hard. You may find it in your own household. You may find it on your street, whatever else. Um, it's not going to take you too long to figure out who those people are and just ask some of those preliminary questions and get some of that direction. So now, uh, Wes, and how does all this fit in now you're, you're doing, um, how do speaking of, you know, finding a niche and, um, and, you know, solving a major pain point, uh, talk about how do, how this all kind of fits together with, uh, with, with what you're doing there and how that helps, uh, startups really find their, find their focus, find their customer and create amazing products. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> How do is uh, yeah, I'm super excited about how do. So how do is a open source innovation education program. So you know I I, I had the privilege of leading innovation uh, for PayPal, Rosetta Stone, Target, and Visa. At, you know the executive level, and uh, I got to work on some pretty aggressive innovation teams at Amazon, and then you know seven years in startups before that, and all those lessons were rattling around in my head. And um, when the 2016 election happened, I had just moved back from a pretty long stint overseas. And I was surprised at how much people were disagreeing about stuff. And so I hired an independent research team. We looked at all the facts associated with the 2016 election and found that, you know, most Americans have a, like literally statistically a lot more in common than, than our disagreements would imply. And so I started looking deeper and realized that, you know, there are some structural things that we could do better in companies. We pay shareholders more than we pay employees. Well, you know, maybe we should fix that. Employees are valuable people. And then there's a lot of structural impediments to, uh, to building a new company. You know, having done it myself, I was really fortunate, as I said, to kind of be early in the startups and then be, get, get to go to some big startups that did some things well and learn from them. And I, I think that, you know, that's everyone, everyone should know how to build a business. Everyone should have business best practice. We, we live in a it. capitalist society. And I therefore think it's an inalienable human right for everyone to know how to build a successful business. That's great. And so talk about how do and how that, that fits in. How do is, uh, 
full course from how to prepare yourself for the you know challenges of innovation because it's a lot of problem solving and learning which can be very exhausting and mentally taxing but that's the fun. If you if you look at it with a growth mindset, that's the fun. Uh, how to build a plan so that you're successful doing deep research on your customer, competitor, the market, uh, available technologies, and then ultimately, what kind of capital should you get if you need capital? And then it looks, how do you then kind of focus is on what tools are available to build a company? Uh, there, a lot of people think about build. Finally, at how to build a team to do all that. Once you've kind of prepared yourself built a plan, understand what tools you need to build your business, build the team that's capable of doing it. Because, you know, as, as, as much as there's like the solo, solo entrepreneur mythology, I think the, the real reality of every company that's ever been successful at scale, you have to have a team. And, and, you know, learning how to attract the right people, motivate them, incentivize them, retain them, develop them, grow them. That's how you really, honestly, successfully build a business. It's, you know, you can do a, a million things for yourself. You can do a million things with a customer. But if you don't build a team that falls in love with solving problems with you, you're not going to scale. It's great, great advice and uh, an amazing platform. And right now, from what I understand at the moment, anyways, it's free. It's free forever. It's free forever. So wow. I, I, I spent right over half a million dollars uh, building it and I'm giving it all away. I, I truly believe that the world needs it. I think that we will solve, uh, you know, pick a, pick a challenge that you think the world has. And I promise you, if it's going to be solved, it'll be solved with innovation. It'll be solved by entrepreneurs. And so I truly believe that we need to give every person on earth the ability to innovate if they want to. That's amazing. Wes, really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, where do they go to uh, learn more about that uh, program or whatever else you want them to uh, check out? Howdo.com. H-O-W-D-O.com. How do we save the world? We do something about it. How do? Right on. Wes, much appreciated for all your insight today, uh, especially around customers and everything else. Uh, thanks again. Thank you for the opportunity, Kevin. I appreciate it. All righty. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time